Brother, do you know Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad? Uh, I do not know him, no. Yeah, he just put some... Well, you know, I know some, who he is. Dipping on some scissors. 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 If you look out your window on March 30th, you might see pigs flying or you may think that uh, hell has frozen over. That's because your Philadelphia Union are getting ready to play in the Champions League for the first time ever. That's right. I'll repeat that. We can pinch ourselves to make sure that we're not dreaming. But our little town, our little team, the Philadelphia Union, are playing Champions League football for the first time ever. And as we get closer to the game, we're going to talk about it. Saprisa versus Philadelphia Union, first leg on the 7th, the second leg on the 14th. But we wanted to um, do one more off-season interview uh, before we get really going this year. And so uh, joining the program, we are very happy to have uh, Danny Higginbotham, who is the new color commentator for the team. Of course, you know him from his days in England with the Premier League. Danny, uh, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. No, likewise, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be on and really looking forward to getting going with everything. It's it's been it's been a long while, it's been a long way um to, to get started, but I, I can't wait now with everything that's going on. So I would say uh welcome to Philadelphia, but it's more like welcome to the Philadelphia Union family because you moved to the area a couple months ago permanently mm. and uh your wife is actually from the region. So you have to sort of uh, give us a story of how you met and how your uh, Philly connection developed. Well, we, we actually met on, on holiday. Um, you know, we're married now. We've got two children. And every year, probably, I'd probably say twice a year, I've been, I've been visiting Philadelphia, obviously visiting um, my wife's family. And we always vacation in New Jersey uh, down at Wildwood, which we love. It's really good for the family, you know. So, so the kids have grown up there. So we've been going there for probably, what, what, how long would it be now? Probably eight, nine years. And we just love it. It was actually down there yesterday just for a drive. And, uh, it's, it's a real good place to go. So, so yeah, so that, that's where it, that's where it's come from. And I think the the plan was always to move over to, to America. And this opportunity came up, came up a little bit earlier than, than what, than what we expected. But it was a situation which was like, listen, for the neck, when this opportunity arises, you know, for you to be able to do what you want to do for your family and everything that, that's involved with that, you know, you, you'd be silly to turn it down. Um, you know, so I had, a, I had a good think about it. And we've been over here now for, is it four months now? I think it is. Picked a great time to move over the middle of a pandemic. Um, so, so, yeah, don't, don't do things by half. That's for sure. And I think it's something that we'll probably have a little step back in a few months when the summer months come and, and having a beer or something, and then just think, how did we manage to do that? It yeah. was because you, usually you fly from, because obviously I'm from Manchester in England. So yeah. it's brilliant because usually there's a direct flight from Manchester to Philadelphia. And it's something like just over eight hours. And we had to fly from Manchester to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to Detroit. And then Detroit to Philadelphia. So yeah, we did it. We did it a long way. The airports were very, very quiet. Um, but yeah, we we had to go the long way around. And we've got two dogs as well, and they uh, they flew via Turkey and New York. So <laughs> they got in their air miles as well. So yeah, it's been it's been an interesting few months, but something that you know we decided that we wanted to do. So we needed to get it done and, and do it properly. And I just can't wait to get going now with Philadelphia Union because it's something that's been on the horizon for such a long time. I was fortunate enough that, 
You know, I followed them all last season when they, when they won the Supporters' Shield, which was brilliant, the first bit of silverware in their, in their franchise. And I was able to watch every game. You know, you've got you've got Carl and Jordan, who you know they they really they really made me feel welcome welcome me into Philadelphia Union. They've done everything possible to make sure that I'm up to scratch. And and you know the manager as well, Jim Curtin, he's been fantastic, and everybody behind the scenes as well. It's just seems like a really really good club with good people involved with it. Did you um, at any point before getting into media, did you talk to your wife or did you think to yourself? maybe I come over to the United States and play in MLS. I had a couple of opportunities late, later on, I'd probably say in my career to, to come and play in, in MLS, but the time wasn't right then. Um, the, the time just, just didn't feel, feel right. Then it was a little bit soon. The plan was always to move to America. Um, and what I'd been doing in England for I'm trying to think now, I started probably doing in, working in the media late 2013, early 2014, and I've made a concerted effort to be doing work for for companies that that would give exposure not only in England but also in the United States. I think that was a big thing. So when I did PLP, which is the World Feed, the games would come over here. The Champions League games would come over here. I did work for NBC, which was brilliant when I was over there. Um, and, and a few different things, and and I've got a few 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 friends that I know from over here as well, and just told me, you know, I, I didn't need much to know what what America was all about from visiting, but just the way that people do things as well as in terms of the industry, uh, the media industry, and I can honestly say, with everybody that I've worked with so far, every company that I've worked for, the professionalism, the attention to detail, the way they look after you has been second to none. It's been absolutely. It's been incredible and it's been an absolute pleasure to do everything that I've done so far. And even, even with Philadelphia Union, you know, I've, I've gone and visited the, um, the, the, the training, well, the academy setup, which is in Wayne. Yeah. And I even said at the time to, to the people who were speaking to, to do with the academy, I was, I was very naive, I think, because I didn't realize how, not how professional it was, but how they go into everything with the finer detail, you know, bringing the young players through. And this, this off season has been all right. Supporters will be disappointed to see Aronson and Mackenzie go because, you know, they, they're such a big part of the teams. But I think as a, as a profile for the football club, I think as an identity for the football club, it's just sent the popularity through the roof because it's always been, it's always been the plan. You know, I've spoken to Ernst Tanner as well, and and he spoke about since he's come in the fact you, they want to bring younger players through. What we saw them do in in the the last drafts where they sold all their drafts because they've got young players coming through, and and now all of a sudden Philadelphia Union are probably looking and thinking to themselves, we don't have to go out and necessarily go and look around for the for the best kids in the area. Yeah. because we're getting this reputation where kids are going to want to come to us because they're showing what we're capable of, that, mm-hmm. that we're going to give younger players an opportunity. We're not afraid to do that. And your instances and your two prime examples have just, have just flown the nest over the last month or two. And it, it's, it's been unbelievable to see. And it's, it's been a real privilege for me to see how everything works. It's funny because uh, 
you know, Philadelphia Union fans are kind of excited for that big, like, foreign signing. Like, who are they going to go get? You yeah. Know? And, uh, you know, you're, it, it was ironic because in the early days of MLS, you know, when Beckham came over here in 2007 and then Steven Gerrard and Robbie Keane and Thierry Henry, so on and so forth, mm. you know, you got the reputation where we were like a retirement league, right? Yes. Just going to come yeah. over here and, and uh, Ryan Shawcross is going to sit on the beach in Miami, right? You know, so. I know Ryan. So that, that, that 100%. <laughs> will not be the case. I know, <laughs> right, I know right. I've spent a lot of time at Stoke with him. So yeah, yeah, yeah but I, I know where you're coming from. But now you have, you know, right. So now Philadelphia Union fans, you might not get excited about that expensive foreign signing, but Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie, you could make the argument who came through the Academy are two of the best players you ever produced. So it's kind of that shift in the thinking, because I think, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong in this, but I think a lot of people in Europe always looked at MLS as like, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to collect my final paycheck. Right. And just kind of like half-ass it. Right. And now I don't think that's the case anymore. No, I don't think it's the case. And I think what we're seeing is that the quality is going up as well. Um, you know, there's, there's no question of that over the last few years. You've seen, obviously, the U.S. Nationals, um, the, the U.S. men's national team, the progression that they've got, the plays that they've got coming through now. Um, so it's, it's now, I think the, the problem from the, and this is from the outside looking in. Obviously, I've come from England and the be-all and end-all is football. That is the only, not the only sport that matters, but it is far and away. Sorry. Number one. It's number one. Yeah, num yeah, yeah, yeah. Num number one by a huge distance. The fans are, you know, they, they look forward to the weekends and everybody has a football team that they support. Now, coming over here and you can, like I say, you can tell me if I'm wrong. Soccer isn't the biggest sport over here. You know, you've got, you've got your basketball, you've got your NFL, you've got your baseball, you've got your hockey. So it's trying to get football, I think, to fit in. It's trying to get it's trying to get football to be understood more and appreciated more. Um, I've been fortunate enough over the last couple of months that I've, that I've been doing work for for NBC with the Premier League, and you can see the the American audience now. You know, we're, we're doing shows that start at like six fifty in the morning, yeah, yeah. seven o'clock in the morning, yeah, and there's people sending pictures and eating breakfast as a family. You know, sending pictures, looking forward, got the, got the, the favorite football shirt on. And the great thing about it is, is that I would probably say that maybe if you visited America five, six, seven years ago, you'd have the big clubs that were represented. You'd have your Manchester United, your Liverpool's, your Chelsea's, your Manchester yeah. City's. But now you're seeing supporters of the the so-called lesser clubs in the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah. which is great. So that's how you know that, that soccer as, as a sport is evolving in America. Well, the Philadelphia and, Union in the very early days, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just... It's okay. Philadelphia Union in the early days, they played Manchester United in their first season, 2010. Then they played yeah. Real Madrid in 2011 in a friendly. And this was during that wave where Premier League teams and foreign teams were all coming over here. In the yeah, that came over. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like uh, you sell a bunch of shirts and gain a bunch of new fans and stuff like that. But yeah. then you blink... 2013, Stoke City comes over here. Now, I don't, yes. think, you were, I don't think you were playing for them. At the I time. just left then. You had just left, right? But Stoke came over here. Bournemouth came over here. These weren't teams that were, you know, going to sell 65,000 tickets mm -hmm. in the financial field, but it showed the development of people were now getting into the game because five years prior to that, there was no way that a that an Everton or a Stoke City was going to be able to come to yeah. the United States and, and play in front of 20,000 people. Yeah, it's, it, it's great. And I think when – because – 
a lot of people have said to me, you know, what, what's the difference between the, the American football, American soccer support, sorry, and, and the English soccer support? You can support. call it whatever you want. We go back yeah. and forth, by the way. It's, okay. all inter- <laughs> it's all interchangeable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and what I would say is that, you know, people don't appreciate and realize, I think, that a lot of the American audiences are very, very well educated on, on football. You know, I think more so than probably most people would imagine. I think, I think the next few years are huge for the country. Uh, in terms of football, because they've got the World Cup in 2026. And I think that's massive. I think you've got a group of players now for for the United States, you know, for the national team, where you look at and you think, this is a team that's going places. You know, you, you've got some that, that have moved, as we've just said, from, from MLS to Europe. You've got some playing for the biggest clubs in Europe. And that that can only be a good thing. Now, my earliest my earliest memory of football in America was USA 94, the World Cup, mm-hmm. which ironically England didn't qualify for. Right. And I, right. I, I remember the opening ceremony, correct me if I'm wrong once again, was it Diana Ross and she went to kick the ball and the goal, <laughs> missed the goal and the goal fell over still. <laughs> and but, our finest moment as a... As yeah, a but, but, that, but that, was, that was at the time. Now I look and I'm like, you, you look at the national team and you look at a lot of those players and there would be a whole host of Premier League clubs that would love to have those players, not in the squad, in yeah. their starting eleven. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's insane. The- it's insane to me how we went from like the program was nothing, and we were like at mm. the end of the end of the line, right? To having guys starting for Juventus, Barcelona, <laughs> Chelsea, mm. like overnight, you know. And it, yeah. it was just this thing where it's like, you know, we have like all this untapped talent in the country. We're, we're a country of three hundred million people. Like, if you go look for it, the talent's going to be out there. It's just a matter of tapping into it and, and raising these kids the right way and bringing them through the academy and doing it like they're doing in Wayne. And it's just sort of transformed overnight. And, and one of the things is when you talk about the population, America should have one of the best teams in the world. Yeah. They should be one of the best teams in the world, you know. And, you know, the way they're going, the plays that are coming through. Now there's an argument to say that in the next four or five years, there's no reason why they can't be. And yeah. I think it's always the competition with the other sports, though. And I think, you know, you, you see, you're seeing the growth of MLS. You're seeing the crowds, you know, turning up. You're seeing, you're seeing young players develop. And as you quite rightly said, you know, people talked about, oh, Ibrahimovic. He's come over to United. He's come over to the United States. He's just so he can have his last payday. Well, anyone that wants to say that, just look how he's ripping up Serie A now. Yeah, right. Well, we always, <laughs> it's, 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 I think it's, it's like everybody said, well, he, Ibrahimovic is scoring you know, 30 goals for the LA Galaxy. Not only is he tearing up Serie A now, but he was playing for Manchester United at age 35 mm-hmm. or whatever and scoring goals. Yeah. So, like, quality, so, quality is quality, no matter who you are, what what league you're playing in, you know? And, and I think you also have to remember, I know that the MLS for a long time has looked at, oh, as the last payday. You have to remember that, that football players, like any athlete, you have self-pride. You have self-pride, and you, do, you don't want to come over to MLS and, and fall flat on your face. There's, there's no way you want to do that because you have yourself pride. Now yeah, people, we knew, that, people, we knew that Ashley, we knew that Ashley Cole was not going to yeah. come over here and just, no. just, just bag it, you know, because that's not no. that's nev- never the type of person that he was. Mm-mm. And they, the players that you've previously mentioned, wouldn't have, wouldn't have had the, the careers that they've had, the trophies they've won, the international caps that they've got, without having that instilled in them. Yeah. To, to have yeah. this, to have this, you know, the, this self pride, and. You know, and, and there's been so many players that have come over from Europe. But like I say, what, what you're seeing now with MLS is that MLS is producing its own. And 
from Philadelphia Union's perspective, from the supporters, I guess it's a I guess it's a double-edged sword, really, because you've seen these young players being produced. And, and I know what it's like because, you know, I, I grew up at Manchester United, but I also support Manchester United. And supporters love to see one of their own coming through. Mm-hmm. And the likelihood is, if the, is that if they have one of their own coming through and they're good enough, they're going to remain for the majority of their career at Manchester United because Manchester United is one of the biggest clubs in the world. So you've got... You know, the gigs is the Beckons, the Nevilles, the Butts, the Skulls. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the list is quite endless if you go back over the years. But with Philadelphia Union, it's, you know what? We're bringing these players through. They bring an enormous amount of quality. They really do put us on the map as a club. But let's be honest, they're going to fly the nest eventually if one of the big clubs, clubs come calling. So every year... You look at it and the club go, right, okay, what we want to do, we want to produce these young players, which they're doing. You know, there's a new batch. I think there's another five players now that that, that have come through that are homegrown and there's, and there's expectation on their shoulders because of what's gone previously. Um, but in all reality, it's going to be like, right, well, you're going to mature with us. And if you're good enough, you are going to make that that next step. And I think that's something that everybody at the at the club is aware of and, I think it's it's a wonderful model to have and to be able to do that, to, to produce players of that quality. Yeah, it's funny because, um, so Danny is wearing a Philadelphia Eagles hat and we were talking a little bit before we started recording about how he's watching football and baseball and some of the American sports here. And Eagles <laughs> fans, because I, the, my, my selling point, I don't know if you're, are you familiar with the term Euro snob? Have you ever heard that before? I have heard it in a, in a, in a couple of different terms. Yeah, now, correct me if I'm wrong, is that... Is that the American support that won't support an American soccer team instead looks at Europe? Yeah, more or less. Like they'll go to okay. the bar in Philadelphia to watch Arsenal at 7 yeah, o'clock yeah, in yeah. the morning, but yes. they won't watch the Union, right? Yes. So, yeah. we have, so we have some of those people over here <laughs> and it's whatever. I'm not going to tell anybody who they can root for, who they can't root for, but you would hope that if they like the sport, they would also cheer for their hometown team, mm-hmm. even if we're not as good as Arsenal is, right? Yeah. So, I tried telling Philadelphia Eagles fans, well, you know, Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie, that's a good selling point because I can say, well, these guys are local. They're from here. You know? yeah. So Philadelphia, I'm, I'm sure you know, and you'll, you'll come to realize this even more, is very parochial and very pro- provincial, and we love our own. And we love Philadelphia yeah, of course. about how we're from here. You know, it's very, it's very blue, blue collar. You know, it's, it's like Newcastle and Stoke or any of those. It's like Manchester. It's like Manchester. Manchester, Stoke, yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. So I tried telling them, Hey, these are local guys to cheer for. And then they say, well, if they're your best players, then why are you selling them? And then I try I to say, well, you know, it's just kind of part of the process. It's a means to an end. You know, you're, you're building up the franchise and, and we'll get to a point where you're going to want to keep those guys around. Mm. See, the, the thing is, when, when I spoke to like Carl and Jordan at, at the union, one of the things for me was that I want to be part of I want to be part of the team that helps to to grow it, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, because there's there's some really, really good people. And for me, if you're getting someone to tune in and watch the game, I, you, you want to try and educate. And, that, that's every, and that's when you're in England as well, because yeah. you're going to have a large percentage of people that are tuning in and they're going to be like, they know everything about Philadelphia Union. They followed them all through the 10 years, all the way to, to the Supporters' Shield winning that. They've seen the highs and the lows. And there's not much really that I can tell them. Now, yes, I want them to enjoy the, the feed that we're giving them, the commentary that we're giving them. But 
it's also about the people that are maybe only just getting into football. Yeah. And maybe yeah. just trying to say, okay, well, you know, they've sold Aronson, they've sold McKenzie, and, you know, they've won the Supporters' Shield, and they, 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 they had an exceptional season last year. Let's have a look. Let's have a look what it's all about. And that's what you want to try and do because you, you yeah. have, it's like anything, with any sport, you have, you have a group of people that come rain, shine, snow, whatever it is, will be there. But in order to try and get more people involved and more people to support it, I think you also have to educate as well. And I yeah, think that's something yeah. that in, in any sport, the role that I have in any sport is to educate people. And I'm the same, as I said to you before we started this. You know, I've watched a few baseball matches. I've watched um, NFL. I've, I've watched the Philadelphia Eagles. i watched a documentary that they did the year after they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to be educated and I was really educated by this. So it gave me a better understanding and it actually gripped me more to want more. Yeah. And that's, that's what I feel as though I want to try and do by, by being involved with the broadcast of, with Philadelphia Union. Well, I think this is kind of where you come in because this fan base is still rather young. It's only 10 mm-hmm. years old, the team. And, uh, you know, I played the game not at a very high level, obviously, but I think the next step for the fan base here is to understand more of the advanced tactical parts of the game. You know, like everybody knows they go out, they play four, four, two diamond. Okay. Yes. They don't have, there's no wingers, right. You know, they give up width to have two number eights going back and forth. Uh, You know, Ray Gaddis was a stay at home fullback, you know, Mark McKenzie, Mark McKenzie was a right footed guy playing on the left, little details like that, I think. And, um, you know, number one, the question that I have based on that is where do you think you can you can be uh, fill fill in the gaps with color commentary? And number two, why why media in general? Like what what made you want to get into that after you're done playing? Um, it was it, it was bizarre, really. It was sort of by accident initially because 2011, um, we got to the FA Cup final with Stoke and about. I think about a week or two weeks before the semi-final, I did my cruise shirt. And that was, you know, my dream of playing at Wembley was, yeah. was, was done. It was finished. And what I found was that we had the lead-up to the semi-final and we won the semi-final and we had the lead-up to the final. And they wanted somebody that they could, the media people in England, because the FA Cup, you know, it's such a traditional competition, huge competition. Um, they wanted someone that they could speak to from the club that, was probably in in the midst of it and and for myself obviously being a player that that had been injured had been on the FA Cup run with them it it made sense for them so I spoke to you know quite a few quite a few different companies doing it you know previews of the games and everything and it went really well and I enjoyed it but then it was right okay that's out the way now concentrate on on getting myself back fit and then when I got back fit I came back far too early I think it was 32 and I came back after like five and a half months from a crucian and I realized that when I'd come back that football had probably left me behind at that level and so I went on a couple of loans then I went to Sheffield United who at the time were in were in league one towards the end of my career and I got asked um from a radio from a radio company in England you know to to go and do some stuff for them and I never forget it was pre-season pre-season days are long and we would be in by 8.30 in the morning. We wouldn't be finished till probably five o'clock. It was all day we were there. And it didn't even, I didn't even think twice about then getting in my car and driving down to London, doing the show and then driving back. And that's when I started to realize that I'm really enjoying this. 
And then I had another year left at Sheffield United and I decided that I wanted to go semi-professional so I could sort of balance the two and see which direction I wanted to go in. And I ended up retiring because I wasn't enjoying football anymore. I'm not afraid to admit that. Um, and the, the sense of wanting to do media really took over and I really enjoyed speaking to managers, the tactical element of it. And it just grew from there. And I'm very, very fortunate to have found something that Nothing can nothing can give you the fix that a football match does. You know, you, you've just finished your game quarter to five, you're in the dressing room and you're absolutely worn out, but you've won the game. There's no better feeling. Um, but this this is a very, very good second best. And then as in terms of the play-by-play and, and, and the, and the colour commentator, for me, I always look at it as your play-by-play is to tell you what's going on. Mine is to tell you why it's going on. And if I'm just repeating what the what the colour commentator, sorry, the play-by-play said, it's different. It's main commentator in England and co-commentator. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. So, so if I'm just repeating what he said, I'm not doing my job. So it's right, up, it, right. it's up to me to to say, okay, well, this has happened, but why has it happened? And make people help people to understand that want to get an understanding of it, why this has happened, and then maybe bring some of some of my experiences during my football career with it along the way as well. Speaking of your football career, I have kind of a very random observation about Stoke City, but it's something we've talked about on this podcast before, Mm. and I'm glad that you're here to to kind of help me through it. You know, the cliche was always like, you know, you go and beat (laughs) Chelsea on the weekend, right? But can you do it in Stoke City on (laughs) Tuesday night in the rain? Okay, I like the cliche that made it over to the United States, too. We were very well Yeah, okay. And the thing that I hate about it, like as a defender – is, uh, you know, back in the day when you were playing for Stoke, you know, it was like Barcelona had Messi and Xavi and Iniesta and they're playing tiki-taka and they're playing beautiful football, right? And the, the mm. saying was like, this is how the game is supposed to be played and this is what it looks like and whatever. And it always bothered me when people made that cliche about Stoke City and other Premier League teams because to, to me, there's no right or wrong way to play the game. And like, mm-hmm. I can see beauty in other areas where other people may not. To me, there's beauty in Ryan Shawcross putting in a crunching tackle or mm-hmm. Rory DeLapp throwing the ball <laughs> 40, 40 meters, right? You know, yeah. um, and it didn't, it wasn't always like pleasing to the eye, but it was effective in a lot of ways. And so I'm just curious to see your take on that because it always kind of bugged me because I, I don't, I, it just seemed like disrespectful to me. Like I didn't think that there was one right way or wrong way to play it, you know? Yeah, the- there's something that's been in football for a long time now, I think, and, I, and I've mentioned it quite a lot, and there is a snobbery, which is seen as there's, there's only one way to play. Now, in the Premier League with Stoke, if we'd have said, right, OK, well, we're going to play the so-called beautiful game, we're going to play like Barcelona, we'd have got relegated with zero points and probably a minus 500 goal difference. <laughs> so so you, you, you play to your strengths. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you, you talk about, different identities you talk about different philosophies there there's no right and there's no wrong in my opinion there is there is winning that's what it comes down to now you will have a few teams who can do both who can win but win by playing attractive football pleasing on the eye but they are very few and far between you know you you had your great Barcelona teams you know Barcelona now are not the Barcelona of Xavi, Iniesta when Busquets was at his best, when Messi was at, they're not the same team. You know why? Because they don't have those players anymore. You know, they don't, you look at Manchester City, they're a law unto their own. They're absolutely incredible. 
the yeah. players that they've got and they deserve all the credit for, for what they've done. The manager, the players, the recruitment. People talk about, oh yeah, well, they've had hundreds and hundreds of millions to, uh, pounds to spend. And I get that. But you know what? If you gave me 500 million pounds, I wouldn't be racing away with the Premier League, no matter what team I was at. You've also got to have a good coach in there. Yeah. And so I yeah. think that that, that that gets misplaced at times. But in answer to your question, it, it never used to bother us. We used to use it. It used to fuel us because we knew that teams did not want to come to Stoke. Hmm. We knew that 90% of the games that we won at home were won just as we walked outside the tunnel because, you know, I played at all different stadiums and Stoke was like 28,000, 30,000. You know, the stadiums in the Premier League, they're not far off treble that. But the atmosphere at Stoke in those first two or three seasons in the Premier League was just incredible. It would make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Yeah. And that was for us who were used to it every week. And we used to speak to opposing players sometimes, you know, after the game, you'd be in the tunnel just having a chat and they'd be like, thank God we're not playing you again. Because they, <laughs> they used to detect, like, yeah, teams yeah. would practice all week how they're going to deal with Rory's long throw. Yeah. So therefore, yeah. they weren't able to concentrate on their game. I remember playing, playing a team and the, the ball went back to the goalkeeper and Ricardo Fuller was chasing him down. He turned towards his own goal and he put it out for a corner. Hmm. And he put it out for a corner because he'd rather deal with a corner than a throw-in. <laughs> yeah. So straight away, That's you know, crazy. you've got, you've, yeah, but straight away, you know, you've got the opposition on the back. And we used to use things in our favour. When we used to play against the big teams, we used to have like a nine aside down the middle of the pitch on a Friday. And we used to wear our biggest studs possible. So you knew come Saturday that instead of Lampard, instead of Gerrard, instead of Balak, instead of Scholes being able to just, you know, caress and treat the ball as only they could because they were world-class players. Mm-hmm. They had to take an extra touch. So we would do things that would work in our favour as well. But it's ideally, yes, you play the beautiful game and you get the wins. But there's probably two or three teams in world football that can actually do that. And for the rest, you try to win the games. And that's the most important thing for me because I wouldn't want to support a team that plays beautiful football but gets beat week after week. Um, I told you I wouldn't keep you past 30 minutes. I only got like one or two. Oh, it's okay. But I want to get into some center back stuff because center back was the position that I played at a very low level in Northeast Philadelphia for 10 years. You played at a very high level. Well, you also played left back. You played on the left side of a back three too. So you were Mm. in different spots back there. Mm. um, You know, I was watching a clip. I think it was from five years ago, but it was you on uh, Sky Sports. I think Rio Ferdinand was sitting there too. And um, you were talking about center backs who play the ball out of the back and who are good in possession. And you were making a point where you were saying, hey, that's great, but, you know, that can't come at the expense of defending, too. Like, we're still defenders mm-hmm. first. You know, you're still got to yeah. win the ball. you still got to clear it out of danger. And um, I'm curious as to whether that opinion of yours holds up five years later. I mean, do you still think that there's kind of this um, trend to have center backs who can play mm-hmm. line splitting passes and, and start the build up play and things like that? And do you think that's kind of affected the defending itself at all? Yeah, I, I think that it has. Don't get me wrong. You've got Rolls-Royce defenders that can do both. You know, you, you, you've got ones that have been able to do both over the years. You know, John Terry didn't get the credit for it. He was an unbelievable passer of the ball. Yeah. You know, he was a brilliant passer of the ball. The player you just mentioned, Rio Ferdinand, one of the greatest ever centre-backs to play in the Premier League. You know, you look at Van Dyke, John Stones now, who I've always believed is an incredible player. He's showing it even more so now. Yeah. The, the problem, the problem that you have is that the way, the way younger players now are coming through, I think if you look at great partnerships over the years, you know, you look at Chelsea, Terry and Carvalho, 
you look at Manchester United, Ferdinand and Vidic. Um, any, any team that had great success in, in football was built on partnerships. And the partnerships usually were opposites. So if one was the one that was unbelievable on the ball and could cover, the other one was the one that would, would go and make the challenge that wanted to be on the front foot. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the one I've just mentioned there, the last one, your Vidic's, your John Terry's, um, they're becoming few and few far between now. Yeah. Because I think what we're going to see as generations go on is that first and foremost, how good are you on the ball? Because it's all about playing out from the bat now. And defending will, will be secondary. And that's, that's the concern that, that we're going to lose one specific type of centre-back. And that would be a real shame because any, any top centre-back pairing that we've ever seen doesn't have to necessarily be in, you know, in the Premier League. You, you, look, you look in Spain with Puyol. What an incredible centre-back he was. But he would put his Puyol, head where... Yeah, 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 he, he, yeah, he would put his head where some players would not put their feet in order to, to win a challenge. Yeah, yeah. And he was captain of Barcelona, mm-hmm. one of the most successful football clubs in that period. Yeah. And he irony, was good on... The irony of that is that we talk about Barcelona playing the most beautiful football of all mm-hmm. time. He was probably the most hard-nosed centre-back of his era. Yeah, and you only, you only have to look a few miles away from them at Real Madrid, Ramos. Ramos, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and you've had Pepe there over the years as well. So... People, I think we always, and quite rightfully so, I guess, we always admire and we always, we always become speechless at some of the unbelievable goals that are scored, the unbelievable assists that we see, the unbelievable skills, because it's, it, it, it's an art in itself. But people forget that defending's an art as well, and it, it, it's, becoming, it's becoming secondary, I think, now. But that's, I guess that's just the way that football's evolving, and I think the way that younger players are brought up now it's not necessarily about the defensive side of the game. So therefore, common sense would tell you that those players are going to drift out of the game, which would be a real shame. You'll still have the, the Rolls Royces. You can do both, which is in the modern day, you've got Diaz at Manchester City, what signing he's been. You've got John Stones, you've got Van Dyke. Um, there'll, there'll be more that, that I'm not thinking about at the moment. But other than that, you know, it's... I see a point in football where we're not bringing through the other defenders. And that for me is a real shame, you know, because, but I guess it's how football goes. And I guess it's the fact of, you know, a majority of managers now want teams to play out from the back and they, they don't necessarily care about first and foremost defending. They care about maybe first and foremost, can you get the ball and can you pass it 50 yards left to right or right to left or find the central midfield or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. Did you, um, real quick, Danny, did you play mm. in the union system at all during your professional career? 442 Diamond, German, Red Bull style mm. pressing and counter No, no, I didn't know, but I find it really fascinating. I find it fascinating because obviously, as you quite rightly said at, at, at the start, you spoke about, you know, the, the fullbacks. There's such an importance in them going forward. Um, and the press has to be absolutely spot on because you're committing so many men forward, that press is beating you in trouble. And that's why, obviously, you know, I, I kept a really close eye on, on the season um, last year. And, and people spoke about McKenzie for obvious reasons. People spoke about Aronson for, for obvious reasons. But the unsung hero, in my opinion, was Martinez. 
I thought he was absolutely phenomenal because you're sitting at the base of the diamond. You've got to look after the two centre-backs whilst both full-backs are going forward at the same time. So he's sort of doing a job for two players. So it enables you to commit men forward. It enables you to get more plays into the box and press high when you lose the ball. But if you don't get that press right, then you can be open. But, you know, the, the Philadelphia Union, they got it right last season because I think they had the best, they had the best defensive record in the league. So... You know, defensively, they've been sound. You know, they, they've got good centre-backs. They've got full-backs. Obviously, with Gaddis going, that's, that's, he's going to be a difficult player to replace, I think, on and off the pitch. Yeah. Um, and there's some more young players coming through. So, it promises to, to be an exciting season, I think. And obviously, with the Champions League, which is something new, that can be a difficult one because you're playing against a team that's halfway through their season. And you need to try and get that balance right between, yes, we want to do well in the Champions League. But then, on the other hand, it's like, we don't want it to have an effect on our season because I've seen that happen in England yeah. with teams, specifically with the Europa League. So it'll be interesting to see how they get the balance right with that. Okay, very last question, I promise. Mm. Um, <laughs> the union went out and got Stuart Finley from Kilmarnock. Yeah. Um, they Jim Curtin was on this podcast a couple months ago, and uh, he said one of the hardest um, positions to find right now in the world is a left-footed center back. Mm. And um, I thought it was fascinating because when they signed him and they introduced him and all this stuff, they said left footed about 15 times and they made a big emphasis that he was left footed, which is like, and I don't think people realize this. I don't know how you feel about it, but when I I'm right footed, when I played on the left, I hated it Yeah, because I just didn't feel comfortable. I didn't like the angles that I was passing at. I didn't like my weak foot being close. It's alien. Yeah. So I'm just curious as to how much, um, of a difference it makes, you know, when you're a center back playing on your strong foot and your preferred side. Huge. I think, I think it's huge. It, it's, it's a really interesting one because obviously myself being left footed as well, I'll, I'll make no bones about it. That enabled me to have a better career. There's no doubt about it because, you know, left, left footers are few and far between compared to right footers. Yeah. And if I ever had to go and play on the right hand side, um, in, it, I found it difficult because you're turning off a different shoulder. You, you're trying to show plays a different way. So I found it difficult. But then two, two of the best fullbacks, one that, I, one that I played with and the other one, in my opinion, United's greatest ever left back. Okay, I was going to make a guess. I was going to say Philip Lahm, but I, would I be wrong in that? Because I think he was right-footed and he also played a little bit of left back for Bayern. Yeah, he, yeah he, he, may, he may have done, yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. But yeah. Dennis Irwin. One of the greatest yeah. left backs Manchester United's yeah. ever had was right footed, but yeah. what a player. Yeah. And then when I was at Stoke, we had a left back, Andy Griffin, and he used to turn around to me and he was brilliant at left back, but he used to turn around to me and go, I'm more comfortable at left back than right back. And even though he was right footed, so that that was interesting. But yeah, it's, I think when you look at a player like Stuart Finley, he, first of all, he gives you balance. He's, he's a leader, you know, he's, he's a big presence. And, you know, I'm sure he'll be looking and saying, right, okay, well, it's a challenge now. Three places don't doesn't go into two. So you've got that, you've got that challenge with Elliot and Glesner. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting battle. He's coming at a good age. I think he's 25 years of age. So he, he seems to be a leader and an organizer as well. So it can only be a good thing. And you know, if you look at the recruitment process from from Philadelphia Union over over recent times, only from what I can see, yeah. you know, they've, they've not done bad with the likes of Montero and, and Martinez in particular and Wagner. Danny, that was great. Um, I really enjoyed the chat. Thank you for your time. No problem. Um, I appreciate it. Welcome again to the, um, to the Philadelphia Union family. And um, you're going to be calling the, 
there's one more scrimmage. Yes, um, tomorrow. Gonna t- tomorrow. It's going to be tomorrow, Wednesday. Mm. And then um, and then the season starts from there. So, um, yeah, we welcome you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. And we'll have to, um, you know, catch up with you again, maybe in the middle of the season, because I could talk about the center back stuff forever. This is like my favorite. Oh, thing. I could but go as on. You, as you can but tell, that, that's, <laughs> that's, the beauty of, that's the beauty of football. It, it, it can be an endless conversation and you, you just find yourself, okay, you just want to talk about one thing, but it just expands into all different facets, which yeah. is great. Well, that's great. Well, we're happy to have you. Welcome again to the family. Thank you. uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Danny Higginbotham, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kev. This is from Union Hulk uh, checking in with a question. He says, Kevin Dino, do we have enough to not embarrass ourselves in the Champy Champs League? Um, I'll answer that question question first. Yeah, but, you know, I, I wouldn't because they're so depleted and they're playing down there on the road in the first leg. I don't have a problem with them just parking the bus. Do you? Like, would you be disappointed if they went down there and they just defend, 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 defend and concede like 70% of, con- of uh, possession, try to hit on a counterattack? I don't think that's the worst thing in the world because of everybody that they're missing. You know, if you can nick a draw down there or a, or a one-one or something like that, and give yourself a chance to to win at home in the second leg, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, considering the circumstances. If it was anything different, I would say, uh, you know, play play your game right instead of turtling. But uh, you know, in this case with the injury situation being what it is, I think you can justify that. So, um, Union Hulk also says, also, is there anything worse than mustard water? Uh, before the mustard comes out, uh, mustard he says was uh, he says mustard water was invented in Satan's butthole. Um, I'm not really sure about that. We have to check with Little Nas X uh, for all matters regarding Satan. Um, but I got to be honest, Hulk. I don't know because I don't eat mustard. Uh, I'm not a condiment guy. I don't put ketchup on anything. I don't put mayo on anything. I don't put mustard on anything. So uh, I'm going to have to recuse myself from answering that part of it. Um, here's Alex M. He says, uh, without any major midfield additions, uh, so far, uh, there's going to be a considerable number of minutes up for grabs for the homegrowns. Who do you think gets the lion's share? Oh my goodness. I don't even know. They're probably all, I mean, they're all going to play. Don't you think? I mean, look, they went out and got, let's just do a quick recap here. Okay. Ray Gaddis is gone. So, and Bizo, you know, Harriel plays over there on that side. Um, Leon Flock, we think, is coming in. I guess, was he in camp? Did somebody report that he was in camp? I don't, it just wasn't confirmed by the team, I guess. Um, they got Stuart Finley. Otherwise, there's no replacement for Brendan Aronson. So, I mean, by process of elimination or, you know, process of not many people being replaced, I mean, you'd have to think that the homegrowns would play a ton of minutes, right? So, um, I would like to see. Anthony Fontana play the most minutes out of any homegrown. I think that's where we are with him naturally this year, aren't we? I mean, I think that would go. With, that would go without saying. So, uh, who wins the? Uh, he says, who wins the job to replace Ray at right back? I mean, I think I think it's going to be Ambizo's job to start off with for sure. You know, and um, if he loses it, so be it. But you know, he he showed well enough. Last year, I don't, I don't see why he he wouldn't be the starter um, from day one. So, uh, Silver Ray, uh, he's got a series of uh, thoughts here. Uh, he says we caught lightning in a bottle with our supporters' shield win. Uh, well, we'll see, we'll see. Again, yeah, we thought we thought it was a different 
achievement, but not any lesser of an achievement. Um, he says, have we dropped the bottle and shattered it already? Eh, I don't know. I don't think so. He says, where's our ambition coming from? I don't know. Uh, oh, this, this is good. So I'm going to read. He's got a series of kind of observations here. Uh, Silver Ray is a good dude. I played against him um, in a friendly uh, pickup game at So5. Um, one of the Doopy brothers nutmegged me. And then I think I got him back with a toe poke goal. So maybe it's a story for another time. Um, he thinks that uh, Ernst Tanner is here for the Academy. Um, he thinks that Richie Graham, um, he says, I love Richie, but his goals are to grow soccer in the United States, not necessarily get the union wins. That's an interesting take because, yeah, Richie has talked about the American game and the American player and the blah, blah, blah. His vehicle to do that is through the Philadelphia Union, but right, do you think, I think it's an interesting question to say, does Richie Graham care more about sending a Brendan Aronson to Europe or winning a trophy with the Philadelphia Union? I mean, but they're going to say, any guy is going to say, we want to do both of those things, right? But I think that they would be satisfied with a Brendan Aronson situation if if they didn't win the Supporters' Shield, you know what I mean? Like if they're claimed, if they never win another playoff game or never win another trophy, but they send a bunch of kids to Europe and they end up on the United States national team, they'll claim that as a success. And we'll be able to point to that and I'll be able to write on Crossing Broad, hey, look at this kid from Medford playing for the national team now. That's great. But like the original Union fans still want to see the Union do something in the playoffs, win MLS Cup, perform out of the Champions League. Right? It's an interesting like dichotomy. We've, we've explored that a little bit in the past. Um, Silver Ray continues. He says, Sugarman's ambitions are shown yearly by our roster budget. Uh, he's, he's present, but he's not a driving force. And I agree with that. And his final observation is that, uh, Tim McDermott is doing good at catering to the fan base, but marketing doesn't, uh, equate directly. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I should have Tim on and kind of pick his brain, um, on that thing. Uh, Silver Ray says, is Jim the only one in the front office who cares about the first team? Uh, he thinks that the uh, supporter shield should have been a stepping stone, but it doesn't feel like anyone else thought so. Yeah, I kind of agree with that now. You know, I think Marissa said it best. Marissa Pillow, when she was on the show, um, I guess it was last month, I guess February I had her on, or maybe it was January. But, you know, I asked her, I said, hey, what do you, like, what's your thought with the union this year? And she said, well, I want to see what's next. You know, what are you going to do now? You know, and it's like, in a way, it does seem like the supporter shield was kind of a, surprise you know maybe they didn't expect to win it and didn't expect the expectations that come with it you know whereas last year if they didn't win the trophy we would have been looking at this season a lot differently there would be no champions league you know and you wouldn't expect them to go win a game or two in the playoffs so you know maybe they were looking at building a roster a little bit differently and uh you know spending transfer money on something different and now all of a sudden it's like oh we have a good team and the fans are expecting something out of us i guess we're not going to dump it all back into the academy. Maybe we'll go for a Stuart Finley or something. So I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say if the supporter shield kind of, kind of threw their plans out of whack or if they had a two or three or four year plan on top of it, you know? Um, let's see. Uh, Lucas says with all the striker injuries, what do you think the lineup will look like against, uh, Saprisa? <sighs> yeah. So let's go, let's go through the 11. All right. Andre Blake and goal. Kai Wagner left back. Uh, they're going to have Elliot on the left until Finley is up to speed. So it'll be Elliot. It'll be Glessness at right center back. I think Mbaizo will play right back. You'll have Brujo at the six. You'll have Montero 
and uh, Alejandro Bedoya. And then, you know, with the front three is where it gets interesting. You know, it's like, because I don't know if you go homegrown, because you'd go Fontana and then, no, I guess you could do it this way. I would, I would say, you know, you could probably get away with putting Ilsenio at the tip of the diamond, and then you could put Anthony Fontana at striker. I think is probably what I would lean to. I don't know. I mean, it depends on what you, what you see Ilsenio being as a starter now, right? You know, or else you put Jack up front and put Anthony Fontana as as your ten, you know, and do it that way. Um. So yeah, I mean. God, they're like really depleted up front, but uh, you know, it's it is what I mean. I still think they'll be okay. See, this is the thing too. Uh, you know, another reason why I think they should just park the bus is because that's where the strength of your team is going to be. You know, because that's not where the injuries have hit them. Like that's a good back line and a good pair of number eights and a number six there. So I, I think their strength, based on what they have available, available is going to be defending. So that's just my take. Um, all right. Um, Paxton Aronson's uh, style consultant says, realistic expectations for the CCL. I think they should get past Saprisa. They get through one round of the Champions League. I mean, that's fine with me. I don't, you know, I don't think they got the roster to compete with any of the big Mexican teams right now. But if you get by Saprisa, that's a good, that's a decent enough showing for a team that wasn't expected to do anything last year, you know. Um, James says, are you surprised that Brendan Aronson uh, has hit the ground running at Salzburg and showed well in these last two national team games? Dude, you know, I got to say, like, I, I don't know if you guys feel this, feel this way, but Brendan has looked really, really good, uh, at Salzburg. I, I don't know what, like, I mean, he doesn't look anything close to the player that he was during his first union year and the game just looks so much more like automatic for him. Like he's thinking less. He just knows where he wants to be with the ball. Um, I, I don't know. He he just looks like he's grown exponentially in a very short amount of time. The player that I see now at Salzburg does not even look anything close to what the, uh, to the player that we saw in Philadelphia and Salzburg has some players too, don't they? Um, that's their striker Daka or Patson. What's his name? Daka. That dude is damn good. And he's going to be playing, I mean, in the Bundesliga in a, in a bigger league very, very shortly. What the hell is he? How old is he? I got to look him up. Hang on. Okay, everybody, hang tight. We're going to do a little um, Google here. I think it's Patson. Yeah, P A T S O N. Okay, all right. Patson Daka. Okay, so this dude plays striker for Salzburg. He's only 22. And he already has. 47 goals for Salzburg in 72 appearances going back to 2017. So one, two, three, four, four. So he started playing for them when he was 18 years old. And he's got seven goals for Zambia in 25 appearances. So again, you're looking at a dude who, because they start these guys so early over there, by the time he turns 23, he's going to have a hundred appearances between uh, Salzburg and this, um, this other club, Lee, uh, Liefering, or however the hell you say it. I think it's a Division Two team in Austria. But I don't know if Brendan's playing with dudes who are just a lot better. But I I don't think the Union were a bad team. But Salzburg's pretty damn good. So, I mean, good for him, man. I'm, I'm surprised. I think he's playing damn good. I think he's looked good for the United States, too. So, 
Go figure, man. Can't believe the kid came from uh, came from Medford. So, all right, we'll end it with uh, Trey Trey Hoffner. He says, uh, "I think the Union finished no higher than fourth this year. Uh, unfortunately, COVID and the timing of the transfer window made acquiring new players difficult. Um, and how involved do you think Devries? Um, uh, how involved do you think he will be this this year? I mean, he's going to have to be, right?" Um, I, I don't see any other way, <laughs> you know I mean? Cause he was with the team last year and just didn't really play. So, you know, the common thought would say, okay, well he's kind of next in line. So, um, but to say that they are going to be fourth place again this year, or that's where you're drawing the line this year. Yeah. I mean, I could see it. I mean, unfortunately I hate to say it, but we're going to find out if last year was a, was a fluke or not. And I hate to say that because it, it shouldn't, whether, whether it was a, you know, a one-off thing or not, it shouldn't take away what they accomplished last year. Because again, it was a different set of circumstances and a different achievement within that framework. So even if the union aren't as good this year as they were last year, to me, it doesn't diminish last year at all. Like the Eagles have been dog shit for the last couple of years, right? And Carson Wentz totally fell off the face of the earth. But to me, it doesn't take anything away from the Super Bowl team. It, it confirms, yes, that the Super Bowl thing was like a flash in the pan. And, um, they went on a crazy run that year and Nick Foles got hot and Carson Wentz was playing great. That wasn't sustainable into the next couple of years, but it doesn't, it shouldn't diminish anything that they did in, in that 2017 season. So it's kind of where I am with, uh, with the union right now. I don't know. I'm, I'm ready to just dive in and have games to talk about. And, you know, I think what we're going to do, like I said, we'll try to, we'll try to do like instant, like an instant podcast right after the first leg or the night or the day after something like that. And uh, look, looking down to the f- in the future, too, you know, I would love to do another live show, I think, of the summer because, believe it or not, we're coming up on the five-year anniversary of the podcast because um, Dave and I started it in 2016, the summer of 2016. So it would be 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Yeah, five years. So if you got any ideas, it would be nice to throw, like, a cool party down at the Larimer. If they're even opening, what the hell is going on with them? Anybody know? Um, so, or if not, we'll do it in, like, the – in the parking lot or something like that. And we'll have a nice little celebration or something along those lines. So, um, yeah, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with, uh, Danny. Um, I always enjoy geeking out with the center back stuff. Of course, uh, maybe we'll get him back on and we'll just talk about center back technique <laughs> in, the, in the future. Maybe that'd be another podcast, but, uh, until then, uh, Philadelphia union, one more scrimmage and the champions league. And, uh, we'll pick it up after that. And I'll talk to you then.